Um, so sorry in advance if you hear any weird beeping or like rumbling in the background. I'm currently recording this intro from an Airbnb on Newbury Street in Boston. Um, and there have been a lot of like ambulances running by like I don't know I was told that the street was like the happening spot in Boston but apparently that also means it is the happening spot for emergencies unclear um um I'm I'm feeling great about it slightly in maybe a Shonda Rhimes show but hey isn't that the dream I mean obviously to like be in the show minus any of the anyways I get I digress. Um, super glad to be in this Airbnb with a giant pop art image of Marilyn Monroe on the wall just to really drive home the fact that, yes, in fact, this is an Airbnb. And yes, there will be no emotionally striking images of home on the wall that creates a space of homeliness. Is that a word? Um, I wanted to thank you all so much for like the great feedback on our first episode it's been really cool to see that um you know these conversations are ones that people aside from just myself want to hear um and to you know keep creating community in that way um i'm actually out in boston because the episode we recorded today was with katie and don b from angry asian girls which is a collective based out of boston it's focused on empowering um api femmes um and and so much more than that, um, as we kind of get into in this episode. Uh, we also talk about how streetwear's use of Asian um, iconography has impacted the way in which Asian communities are looked at versus seen, and like do things like uh, Kendrick Lamar's new clo- new da- dam line that uses um, like dam in Chinese, uh, is that a perpetuation of um, Orientalist or fetishizing ideas towards um, Asian cultures? Like, you know, are our cultures existing just for like a cool way, cool aesthetic on clothing um, instead of, you know, being so much more than that, which they actually are? Um, we also talk about queering spaces and in empowering, you know, like the millennial, uh, the younger generations of activists in within the API community, where our API community falls um, racially in the United States. Because on the one hand, we're we're not white, yet in certain instances we don't, like oftentimes we're not fit in, you know, like we're not plugged into the POC communities as well. Um, it's an amazing conversation, and both Katie and Don B are brilliant, and the work that they're doing with Angry Asian Girls is so fantastic. So if you're ever out in Boston, definitely hit them up and, and take up space with them, physical space, intellectual space, all of the space, um, because that the community that they are working on um, creating and empowering is so, so important um, for all of us, for all of us to find our, you know, like our foothold, our, our belonging in this country where like we do belong in here. Um, we belong here as much as anyone else does. Uh, so uh, a few things before we dive right into this episode. Um, Thank you so much for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Yes, we're officially on iTunes. We're a real podcast, honey. Get into it. 
Um, if you, we also have a Patreon page, and we're working on getting up some really cool incentives for our, um, you know, our contributors. But any support is so meaningful to us, and it allows us to keep these podcasts running, um, and allows us to meet more people and go visit people like Katie and Donby across the country, and put on really cool events, um, and make more T-shirts, and bring just even more projects and more voices to of our community to the rest of our community. Um, speaking of events, uh, we just wrapped up at New York Pride this past weekend at the Siren Party, which was incredible. It was amazing to meet so many people. Um, we are next going to be at San Diego Pride in July. Uh, we are co, um, co-putting on a... That's the wrong terminology. We're putting on a... Um, Outwad event with Outwad in San Diego on July 13th, I believe. Um, It's down at Invictus CrossFit space in downtown San Diego. Uh, We are going to be sweating it out during the workout. You can grab some of our gear there. Um, And then we're also going to be taking the group up to Hillcrest and doing a little pub crawl uh, the Friday night of... uh, Uh, San Diego Pride um, and getting to you know just be proud with our community and also like we just sweat a ton like we get to put those fluids back into our body we're also going to be out at San Diego Pride for the entire weekend um, at the Utopia um, section of the festival which is actually just outside of the gates so it's totally free you don't have to buy a ticket to come in Um, you can stop by our table hear more about the project hang out with us, um, buy some shirts, uh, and and just have a blast um, during the weekend and get some sun in, uh, which will be a nice welcome change since New York was a bit cloudy this time. And also, it's like raining in Boston right now. I don't, I, don't, I just don't understand this East Coast weather. Just like, take me back to California. Also, the shirts will be online soon, I promise. Um, I just really did not expect how complicated putting up a website shop would be, but I promise you we're working on getting them up there so um, our Bayesians who can't make it to our in-person events can grab swag themselves and be able to rep, um, you know, being a Gaijin or the Gaijin Project uh, as much as they want across the country. Um, yeah, I feel like that's about it. Um, so yeah, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, it seriously goes a very long way to boosting my ego. Um, (laughs) no, seriously, it, it does go a long way, uh, to helping our podcast and these conversations and our community, um, be more visible and be kind of accessed by more people in the country and more people within our community, which is, again, um, really the most important part of this project and of having these conversations. And tell your friends um, about the Gaijin Project and shoot us an email. Tell us your stories. We, we want to talk to you. We want to hear about the queer Asian experience, all facets of it because everyone's experiences are different from the other ones. And it's so important to explore that and to explore the fact that being a Gaijin isn't just one thing. Being a queer Asian, being Asian, we don't look like one thing. We, we look like so many different things and we have so many different experiences. Um, and it's so important to hear those experiences, uplift them and, and be more connected with our community. 
Anyways, I have rambled for way too long, um, and it is time to get into this amazing episode with Katie and Don B from Angry Asian Girls, all about just everything. Just like such a good conversation. Yeah, let's start over. We have done this before, (laughs) and it's like when we did this, when we did our video, we had to do so many takes because, like, it was really hard to even like. um, Suddenly, I'm like, who am I? (laughs) (laughs) Where am I uh... from? (laughs) Okay, let's start over. So I'm Katie. She hers pronouns. Um, I'm from a lot of different places. Um, Most recently, I'm from Harlem. But um, yeah, I'm I'm an organizer, uh, poet, filmmaker, based in Boston, and I'm one half of the Angry Asian Girls Collective. My name is Don B. Um, I use she, her, they, them pronouns. I'm based in Boston for my sixth or seventh year, which is terrifying. <laughs> um, I'm Gemini. Ooh. That's one of the questions. I'm an Aries. Um, and Snowball. it's the year of the dog, and it's my year, and I'm really feeling it because I just popped out of Gemini season, and it's a good day. Yes, to be a Gemini. Mm. Yes. Um. So tell, wait. So you said angry Asian girls. Mm-hmm. Yes. What is angry Asian girls? Angry Asian Girls is a collective that's dedicated to sustainable community empowerment uh, right now in Boston, but we've done events elsewhere, like in L.A. and New York as well, but right now we're focused on Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we just solidified our mission, like, last week, Amazing. so we're very excited to be able mm-hmm. to move forward with programming um, and, like, engaging with our community under this new mission. Um, and that new mission is very focused on like queering physical spaces, but also like making space for API femmes. And that has a lot to it and a lot to unpack. But um, we're really determined to like explore what's within the API umbrella and the different identities and spaces that exist many of which are third or fourth spaces, right, depending on how you identify. And that's very unique to the API diaspora. So we focus largely on that. Yeah. Something that's super interesting that I found, like, super appealing and also interesting about Angry Asian Girls is, like, how there is, like, this the aesthetic of it is, like, super streetwear in the way that we're like seeing right now Mm -hmm. um which like aesthetically pleasing because it's trendy and Mm -hmm. allows people to like get into a really like important mission and like in like the work that you're doing but it's really interesting because that kind of I know you and I have talked Mm -hmm. about this a little bit about how the interplay of Asian cultures Mm -hmm. in modern day streetwear and yeah. how it's like so prevalent like you're seeing mm-hmm. all of these non-asian folks like 
use Asian images. Yeah. yeah. I think that that's, like, we can't, like, continue this conversation without acknowledging that, like, historically and contextually in the U.S., there has been a lot of anti-blackness in Asian American communities. Um, and there's been a lot of conflict and controversy between like the appropriation of these two cultures from each other right Mm -hmm. um and so i think that it's interesting we specifically have really tried to stray away from being called a streetwear brand for Mm -hmm. a long time because that association i think people kind of make it pretty instantly because of the aesthetic and like the um Right, like the... I mean, the fact that we came out of, like, a t-shirt project is undeniable. Like, that's where our root Mm -hmm. was. Um, We didn't come into Angry Asian Girls being like, we're going to start a collective to empower the youth (laughs) of America. We got there, but um, we we didn't start with that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we got Mm -hmm. there, and I think that, like, it is a really valuable entry point to have something as accessible as a t-shirt or a Mm -hmm. sticker or a tote bag that will allow someone to look at that and be like, oh, that's interesting. It's cool. So I want to be a part of that conversation. But then mm-hmm. also realizing that, like, once you wear it, there's a certain responsibility because Absolutely. people will come up to you and ask you if you're an Asian femme, what why are means? you angry? Yeah. Like, what that means? What is the context around it? Right. And so mm-hmm. it, like, definitely begs a question. Um, and we realize that very quickly and early on and we realize that we like need to prepare people to have those conversations because like otherwise you're just throwing them out into the wild and Mm -hmm. just like um we have like an obligation to really make our mission heard and so we that's why we've kind of taken a step back from the apparel and and streetwear aspect but i do think it's like maya and i were talking about this earlier is how people see angry Asian girls and they either think it's funny or it's cute or they have a reaction to it that isn't necessarily um, one that is based in activism, right? Or that we would be doing something that, how do I word this? That our anger is rooted in oppression, right? That's not the first connection that a lot of people make. And that, to me, wearing the shirt personally has often been insulting. And people like to make jokes. You don't look angry, you know, right. like or like, oh, is this a band? Oh, cute. Like seems like a hip group of like Asian girls. Right. right? And that is so not what we are. Mm-hmm. But I understand like the parallels that people draw there. Mm-hmm. Um, and what Maya and I were talking about is like that is actually a useful strategy because we can bring people into this notion and then kind of like teach in. Right. Mm-hmm. Like. Um, like deconstruct the, the why you think that why, why do you, you find this that? funny why do you right. find it cute and if, if it said angry black girls would you have the same reaction you know mm-hmm. like gauging these kinds of like our perceptions of right. race and the way we're socialized to think of people right the apparel aspect of it is super interesting because it there's in the streetwear spaces it feels like they're even though we're seeing a lot of asian imagery and iconography it still feels like a perpetuation of like fetishizing asian cultures mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like we were saying think like the idea of queering spaces i think being from an asian culture is inherently queer because it's so different it's so other from western society And so when you start using those um, images and like aspects of those cultures in a fashion way that does not seem to have more, I think you can read into there being more depth to it, but like, you know, when you just see like a teenager wearing like a shirt that has maybe like some like Japanese characters on it or something, Mm -hmm. it feels like a perpetuation of 
oh, these cultures only exist for our, like, aesthetic mm-hmm. enjoyment. Like, consumption. consumption. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Absolutely. Or, like, you look at, like, the new, like, Damn Line by Kendrick, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's Damn in Chinese, right? And, it, like, the intention, it's, it's interesting, right, that, like, there's a lot of these bridges and parallels that you see in streetwear but it doesn't necessarily mimic itself in culturally or socially Mm -hmm. and that's a really interesting thing and I think it's something worth exploring because I think there's a lot of problematic aspects of streetwear culture of appropriation from both sides Mm -hmm. um that need to be addressed and they're like this is a way to address too, them, right? you know, like streetwear yeah. and art and creativity are very valid ways to address the the ways in which, you know, maybe our actions right. are politically charged or problematic. Absolutely. Especially considering like one, um, the, the nature of streetwear is like a very male dominated brand and like considering who is profiting mm-hmm. off of the designs and like the iconography and the imagery that are from like Asian cultures is the money where's the money going like how are you producing mm-hmm. these things who are you exploiting to get to this point Absolutely. like as a first point and then also to th- consider the ways in which like fashion and like your outward presentation can be really radical and like um, an outward expression of like who you are and like an artistic form that you can wear on your body that often disturbs spaces and like we found this very often in Boston in particular because it is a more conservative like traditional place and space in terms of like people's fashion in particular you know and it's like ranked number one in what like the most segregated racially diverted mm-hmm. countries in the world or not in the Cities. world in the, in the U.S. Excuse me. <laughs> Boston is one city. of the most segregated cities in the U.S. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, and I noticed that as soon as I got here. I mean, I, I got here and I was p- kind of picturing like a mini New York, which mm-hmm. is, uh, I realize, very overzealous. But I was like, yeah, you know, like m- most cities are diverse. Like, you know, coming from New York, it, like that made sense to me. Or like San Francisco, even right. LA. You look LA, at these cities yeah. and you're like, yeah, cities just, you know, People yield diversity, together. yield urban growth and, and, mixing in that sense right but Boston because of its historical context and a lot of it based in like gangs and you know segregation from a while ago like a lot of redlining as well yeah like it's grown into this very culturally segregated city and in which so many immigrants are being pushed and displaced to the outskirts of the city as it gentrifies and one of the first thing I noticed was when I got here it was entirely white. Like, I didn't see a single person of color for, like, mm-hmm. the first week I was here because oh, I was yeah. in downtown, and I was just like, is this, this, like, what, mm-hmm. you know? And um, it's really it's really wild to ride the train and know exactly where you're going based on who's on that train. Mm-hmm. That is a wild, wild yeah. concept to me, again, coming from New York, because it's just, like, you can't really do that in New York. Mm-hmm. Um but you hear languages or you see people and you know what neighborhood you're going to. Absolutely. You know, you know if you're going to Dorchester or Roxbury or, you know, if you're going to if you're going towards Quincy. Right. right. And or like what part of JP you're in. Exactly. Because like how to the extent of which it's been gentrified mm-hmm. and like. <sighs> but I think it is an important to bring up, you know, who's getting this money and what distribution is in streetwear yeah. um, to come back to that, because something we've a huge part of the reason we really took a step back from screen printing and hand printing and even just, you know, third party ordering shirts, which is what we had started out doing two years ago, um, is because we 
wanted a sustainable business, right? Uh, once we decided to become a collective after this t-shirt campaign. And so we used this third party site that we were printing um, shirts on just because it was easy, you know, like we took a portion of the profit, they took most of the profit, but it wasn't accessible for one thing because they made it to a minimum of $22 per t-shirt, which is already too high. And if we wanted more profit, we had to increase it from there. So there was that. We wanted things to be accessible, but also, who are we exploiting when we're printing on Hanes t-shirts, right? And Hanes has been accused of having sweatshops. And like, who is the primary demographic associated with sweatshops? It's typically South, Southeast Asian women and femmes and children who are in these sweatshops, mm-hmm. right? So what what statement are we making by, by supporting an organization or a group like that? Mm-hmm. And by allowing our shirts to be printed on Hanes, even if like, you know, we're removed from that because it's a third party, you know, it became like this point of contention. So we started going to Goodwill and getting, um, you know, cheap plain shirts and then screen printing onto them. But the labor, I couldn't do that, you know, every weekend, it couldn't meet demand shipping. And then it became an issue of like, here we are unable to pay ourselves. How does this work? And And also focusing all of our time and energy on creating this product that again is for consumption and like Mm -hmm. by who for what purpose and like we kind of wanted to shift and um the direction of our impact and be able to like really interface with the people that we were connecting with Mm -hmm. um so a lot of people who are reaching out to us on social media and you know asking how they could be a part of like this group and we realized that like there was this need for a conversation like this like groups mm-hmm. to have conversations like this and I think that's so critical and shirts are a way for people to feel included because you can wear it and be like okay this is something that I'm repping but also like being conscious of like what kind of conversations are we having what kind of community are we building for you like how do we get to know you on a like more intimate level to further this conversation that's what we think about or that's what I've been thinking about a lot with our shirts because we like, so much of the Gaysian project is about visibility mm-hmm. and, like, seeing that queer Asians exist. Because, like, what does a... Queer Asians can look like anything. Mm-hmm. As, like, can queer people right. can mm-hmm. look like anything. Exactly. And if we are able to see ourselves, like, the people who are comfortable with being visible are visible and we see more of ourselves, then it it's allows those, like, branches of community to be made. Mm-hmm. And so for us, like, creating the shirts was just, like, a, like... It was just, if you feel comfortable wearing this shirt and you are visible and, like, somebody on the street sees you wearing a Gaijin shirt, that in itself is, like, oh, okay, like, somebody else like me. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, it's kind of come into those, uh, I've had, like, to struggle a little bit with understanding what exactly Gaijin is, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. there are so many like preconceived like mm-hmm. notions of what a Gaijin is, what Asian is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like Indian and I struggle constantly with the fact that I'm not read as Asian. Mm-hmm. And so I like this past weekend at New York Pride, when people would come up to our table to like ask more about the project or buy shirts, um, they'd be like, What are you? And I was like, Oh, I'm Indian, but instantly had to qualify it with South Asian. Right. Like, Absolutely. to prove that I'm a part of, mm-hmm. like, right. the continent. Mm-hmm. And so that's been something that's really interesting for me because, and, like, hard, because how it's so important to see so many different types of people, like, wearing the Gaijin shirt and showing that, like, 
Asia's a right. multitude of ethnicities. Right. Like we look yes. so different. And also like what message is that? So, like how do we have those conversations? Right. And like how does that change? Like how do we change people's perceptions of like, oh, there's a brown Asian behind a table who doesn't look like what, you know, like who doesn't look Chinese, so like therefore she's not Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, and is she allowed to be selling those things? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, because I am Asian and Asia is like so much more than that. So like printing the shirts for us was definitely like a lot of how do we create that visibility that yeah. expands mm-hmm. to like different spaces. Yeah. And also there's still that like who is pro you know, like we're we use like a local screen printer to do everything so that's like really really nice um but and we like an asian um designer designed Mm. everything and we tried Mm -hmm. to keep it in the fam um and it's also still so tricky figuring out like the business aspect of it because we don't want we want it to be empowering and not exploitive right it's it's so much to navigate but it's also like it for us like we're really trying to have like that black and brown visibility um Mm -hmm. because black and brown asians exist very much so and kind of exist in this third space as do a lot of mixed identities right um but like how do we bring them into that and create that visibility and Mm -hmm. representation of like asian can look like so many different things Mm -hmm. as can gaijin as can queer as can femme as can non-binary like all of these um labels and terms like that we can kind of stretch and expand and Mm -hmm. reclaim and break down um into our own is like a lot of the work we're trying to do but that is definitely a hard thing to navigate when you bring apparel into it because it becomes that question like it's also you're putting people on the front lines of if they want to have these conversations and that is something we are trying to be very transparent about Mm -hmm. is that like i mean personally like i've had days when i don't i'm not gonna put on my angry asian girl shirt because i'm not having a good day and i'm not ready to have those conversations you know like you get things brought onto you that you have to be ready for if you're putting this out there and that's a larger context of how you can use you know apparel and clothing as a tool for social change but it is a lot of emotional labor especially if you are not an east asian like femme presenting um person who fits into the box of like our shirts right right? so it it becomes a really kind of tricky thing to navigate especially when like I mean, we didn't create these shirts. We created the shirts with a similar intention of, like, you know, wanting to create community for ourselves as, like, Asian femmes. But unfortunately, when you're wearing something, like, it is subject to the gaze of, like, whoever you encounter that day. And in Boston, it's a lot of white people. Mm -hmm. So, like, whether you want it or not, you are subject to the white gaze. And, like, that is not our audience. So, like, sometimes I choose to not engage with the white people who are like, oh, why are you angry? Mm-hmm. Or like, oh, like what do you I want to be angry right? about? Yeah, oh, cute shirt. Where can I get one? And it's like that's not for you. Like yeah. this is for like the other like transplant or like the other Asian kid who grew up in like West Mass, Western Massachusetts, who like went to all white school and like needs somebody who looks like them to yeah. like relate to. Um, and so like it's but it's a hard thing, right? Because like art or like a product if you put it out into the world it stops being yours to a certain extent and it becomes like whatever people project onto it and so like we're trying to have as much control over that as possible but also like realizing through this process that it's not 
not always possible. Yeah, like, and we kind of have to let it Right, and that's such a huge question, like, at the same time, because it's like, yeah, no, I don't want a white person coming up to me and wanting to wear this shirt because they think it's cute, right? Like, that is absolutely not what we are striving to do. But at the same time, like, we've had, like, Asian men ask us, you know, can I wear this shirt? And from a person, like, I'll speak for myself, I think Asian men are the ones who need to be wearing these shirts and having these conversations, right, and undoing all of this, right? But also giving us their money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, give me your money, give me, like, if you support me and you support, like, what Mm -hmm. I'm doing, then pay me and, like, yeah, like show me unlearn your masculinity support femmes in your life who are like working to undo so much of this systemic oppression and it's it's just like yeah it's that's that's a hard thing to navigate though because how do you contextualize that and put the boundaries on that when someone asks who can wear these shirts Mm -hmm. you know because it is super nuanced and i don't think there's one answer um it's very case specific and it's very specific to like if you support us and understand what the mission is and, and understand what this community is for mm-hmm. so and also like like Dangdi was saying like when you put it out into the world it's like you it's not yours anybody yeah. can buy it like mm-hmm. I have no control over who's gonna then buy this I know shirt. very many people who own our shirts but I also know people who know us as an organization and bought our shirts and don't wear it they're because like, they're like, like <laughs> you don't have a donation button you know like yeah. that kind of thing and yeah. so there's that um, yeah. or there's support and also what does it mean to wear the shirt versus hang it on your wall yeah. right like that's I know people right. who have it hanging on their walls in their rooms and that is who are not Asian and not femme identifying as well. Um, so there's different levels of support, and I think it's kind of like gauging, uh, you know, the privilege you have in respect to these shirts. Yeah. Right? It's also interesting because it goes, like, as we talk more about, like, who can wear these shirts, it's like, what about, like, how do we bring our allies into mm-hmm. it? Because, like, we're, mm-hmm. like, the API community in the United States is pretty small. Um, and so, like, having, if we, even if we got the whole support of, like, our community, that's still not enough to, like, break down the way in which, you know, like, non-Asians view our community and mm-hmm. the way that we can, like, break down the way, like, we're fetishized or othered. And so, like, when you're bringing in allies from outside of the community to help do that, to help lift us up and see us versus just look at us, it's like, can they wear, like, can they wear the shirts? How do they wear the shirts? Mm-hmm. How do they rep us and support us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is like, I mean, we made shirts that just say the Gaijin Project so that our allies can, you know, like buy those and wear it and, you know, like Talk rep the, the project. project. Yeah. The project itself, yeah, instead right. Instead of like the Gaijin thing. But I know people have like, you know, talked about how they're not comfortable about, you know, like, can they wear it? Is this fetishizing it more? And you, Katie and I yeah. were talking about this earlier. It's because people like- don't understand. Like, I feel, I strongly feel that, like, when it, a lot, I shouldn't generalize, a lot of people think about race specific to the United States as a black and white issue, literally, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, black and white exclusively. And every other race or ethnicity or identity kind of, like, you know, falls to the wayside of that, right? Mm-hmm. And so the way I think some things need to be contextualized is, like, would you wear a shirt that says the Gaijin Project, why do you feel like you're fetishizing when, like, there are plenty of white people who wear Black Lives Matter movement shirts, right? And, like, that is a clear expression of, like, supporting the movement in 2018, right? That's super acceptable, right? So then why does it make you uncomfortable or you feel like you're fetishizing or stepping on toes or, like, kind of um, 
uncomfortable in the support of something called the Gaijin Project, um, specifically because it's maybe not a trendy issue to be on the right side of in 2018, you know, mm-hmm. as perhaps the black versus white. And it's it's everything so nuanced, but I think that sometimes people need that contextualization to understand that you can support a project. And specifically, if you are white, like the way you can express your allyship is by supporting projects financially. If you have the resources, like Mm -hmm. your finances are needed more so than your understanding of this is, you know, like, yeah, uh, yeah. The understanding and the finances. It's right. like, give us your money, please, and thank you mm-hmm. so much. Um, and also, like, work to understand what it's like to be in the API community mm-hmm. and live in this weird third space mm-hmm. that is, like, neither considered white mm-hmm. nor POC because of, like, we're assumed to have such high socioeconomic mm-hmm. status and mm-hmm. that we're all supposed to be doctors and, like, head to the ground and, like, very proper... And so, like, when we defy both of those spaces, those the black mm-hmm. and the white categories, for mm-hmm. lack of a better way of describing it, like, trying to understand how it's so hard for us to navigate that and find our place in community and be felt as, like, mm-hmm. you know, a part of the United States as opposed to just, like, over here and tokenized as, like, the CEO or, absolutely you know, like, And shattering that myth altogether. I mean, like, realizing that, like, those statistics are based in an East Asian understanding of income and wealth that is disproportionate to South and Southeast Asians, absolutely. you know, specifically to, like, you know, um, like, Cambodian, like, Southeast, South Asian refugees who came mm-hmm. here and are treated, um, you know, at the same income level and um, criminal, like, police brutality rate as, like, Hispanic, Latino, like, Latinx mm-hmm. people and that's just not discussed right yeah. in that mm-hmm. in that discussion you know people uh recently what was it um like a couple months ago there was this really big graphic that blew up that was of how the asian man makes more than the white man to the oh, to yeah. the dollar and yeah. then the next is like to the like the fe- the female dollar right um that whole debate but that is so specific to to an East Asian way of looking at things and measured, and it came out that, like, all of that, those measurements were specifically East Asian. And so it's like, who did this demographic study? You know, because... And and where are all of the the other Asians? Like, where did they fall on this spectrum? And and who who did this so irresponsibly, right? And it's something that I've seen this meme or whatever it was, this graphic that was recycled and recycled, um, that is ultimately untrue, you know? And it's it's like, who did you interview? Like, your Ivy League friends, parents? Right. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, like, Mm -hmm. also considering, like, the legacy of, like, Asian American folks, like, in this country and, like, the, how long immigration has been happening over the years and, like, how in the beginning it was, like, super, like low physical labor you know like it was really intensive like physical labor that people were doing and there was a lot of organizing with other immigrant groups at the time like from all over the world um and i think that like that narrative is so much erased um and then also like the narrative of like people in the civil rights movement like jumping on that bandwagon like also race like fighting for asian american Mm -hmm. studies and like ethnic studies completely erased like there's no continuity there for I think new like the new generation of activists and so like one of the parts of our programming that we hope to incorporate is like doing that kind of like intergenerational work where we expose younger folks to like 
their history yeah. because we don't have that um, yeah. in a lot of schools. And so I think that's so important. And like recognizing the diversity of our narratives, like how and why people come here. Um, well, I feel like recently, like fun. echoing the fact that like we don't really have that much access to our history. I mean, first of all, like American like public education is like crap. And like <laughs> history in general, we're like the, when we're taught history, it's just such it's like history is taught by like yeah. winners, right? I didn't learn my history until this my senior year of college, and I had to override an elective course into an Asian American studies course, and it was a was a film course. It wasn't even like a full history yeah. course. It was like transnational Asian cinema, and that was the only Asian American course offered at my college, let alone ever having learned it in high school. You know, and yeah. I still feel like I've never learned. <laughs> Absolutely. My own history, right? And I feel like it's even more, well, it's become more frustrating for me, like, lately with, like, the camps that are on the border. Mm. And people keep saying on social media, this is not what America is. It's and like, it's this like, is what America has this. historically been for all of ever. <laughs> and, like, the erasure of, like, the fact that people are just, like, forgetting what the Japanese internment camps. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which literally in Thank living you. memory in our borders and, and like, like people does not not that far ago it's like a generation removed from us like there's still people who lived through mm -hmm. that yeah. and have the trauma um and have that trauma in their families and it's like even though i went to i went to like a humanities magnet school in california and so we did have the opportunity to learn mm -hmm. some of our history like in 11th grade um like reading a people's history of the United States, like, all these mm -hmm, things, yeah. right? Um, and, like, super lucky to have that opportunity, but, like, being very conscientious that, like, that is not a common experience mm -hmm. at all. Mm -mm, um, and so anyone. it's, like, unless there's a very intentional way of, like, approaching it, like, a lot of people don't have that. Arizona, like, banned ethnic studies or something like that. Oh, like, ridiculous. So, like, you know considering like the ways in which like that is how you get people to be politicized and like that's a way that people get radical like removing that is so so like just like terrible for a community yeah well, and also just like learning that history but also learn like doing the research and the work to understand current events yes. as well, right? Yeah. Like, we're talking about these camps at the border, right? These families being separated. And the large understanding, as the media has portrayed it, is that these are all Latinx families, right? right? That's not true. A lot of these families are South and Southeast Asian. Mm -hmm. um, and someone on our AAG team was made this really wonderful... Um, slideshow that we're going to share this week that is how to give resources and access to those families and like you know like we talk about ICE and there's a lot of resources for translation and things like that specific to Latinx families but it's not there for any other demographic yeah. and there are other brown people yeah. being separated at the border yeah, um, but those and conversations aren't being had. Even in Massachusetts I believe like somewhere in eastern or Western, I'm not sure exactly what town it was, but there was like an ice raid and like a bunch of like Nepalese families. Yes, like, mm -hmm. were taken out very recently. Um, and like I know something like that happened in Oregon as well. Mm -hmm. And like it's just been and the resources aren't there, the organizations yeah. aren't there, like the funding isn't there. And you know, it's not to take away from a lot of the work that has been done, but like where you know, where is our community? Like, mm -hmm. how do we show up for these people? Like, how do we get organized? Because 
we don't have those structures in place mm-hmm. and now like shit's hitting the fan and a lot of people are left without resources and mm-hmm. without and we're not anything. hearing those narr- like not honestly like this is the first time it makes sense that a lot of south and southeast asian um families are being affected by you know like mm-hmm. are in the camps that makes sense mm-hmm. right but those are narratives that we're not hearing mm-hmm. and that's not to take away from the latinx communities mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. or the like indigenous people who are caught up mm-hmm. in this as well it's also just like are these narratives being lost under that assumption that like Asians are not POC and are not affected by like we are the model minority like Trump has said this a lot like we he has alluded to the fact that like Asians are the good minority that immigrated. Mm, everyone in should be way, like, yeah, absolutely. Right? And like, that's not mm-hmm. that. There are a lot of un- like, just like, 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 there's so much pressure on us. Like, no. And it's yeah. just but, not like, true. It's just like absolutely. It's not so true. fucked up, and it's so and so many people I think internalize that, and I specifically think that I mean, Asian American millennials do not vote. Yeah. Do not vote at all, right? And ha- kind of have this idea that, like, you're not affected by these issues as much, right? Because if you look at the media, you're not, right? But the API demographic is so wide and is so largely affected by a lot of issues in this country that are just being made into, like, partisan, compartmentalized issues. And we're mm-hmm. it's distracting us from doing the work and, like, understanding how our community, like, the needs of our communities, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's also, like, some implicit shame about talking about the issues that you have and, like, needing assistance from, like, social, like, organizations, like, social benefit organizations. And, like, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it comes from, I'm sure it comes from a lot of different places and, like, there's, you know, so many different narratives about, like, being political in, um, like, ascending country, for example. And, like that do deter people but I think it's like our generation's responsibility to kind of like overcome that and like take the power because like we are as much a part of this community as people who as like the white person who immigrated here like a year ago from Canada so um who's voting probably Mm -hmm. so um I mean you're paying taxes you should have a say about where they're going um you guys talk a lot about like queering spaces and I think that like is such an important aspect of mobilizing like the millennial generation of Asians Mm -hmm. because like there's so much more in like the API experience in 2018 than you know like what our parents experienced Mm -hmm. because now like you know we're exploring gender identity issues we're like kind of breaking through certain ideals that may or may not have been like enforced on like our families and like our home countries from colonial rule and now Mm -hmm. we're like in this space where we can you know like explore what it is to be gender fluid or Mm -hmm. explore what it is to like be queer yeah whatever that may Mm -hmm. mean for you without like even though our (laughs) like our protections are rapidly eroding in this country we're still in a space where we are like free to do that and yeah. able mm-hmm. to do that in such a supportive way yeah. and like that's so imp- like in pushing that into the narrative yeah. and allowing it to be like yeah. yeah like we're a part of you know like the border camps are truly affecting us what's right. happening like in the queer communities yeah. is affecting us and, and we belong in those spaces I right? think also just like querying what it means to be political and like kind of taking mm. that and breaking away from tradition and like seeing it as an inaccessible thing you know like um really kind of 
breaking it down and like teaching people how it impacts them and like how they can be involved is something that we really want to do with angry Asian girls um especially in this time you know um yeah our mission document statement is like we want it ends with something like we want people to be able to like engage with their lives and like all of these identities in the way that best fits them yeah and, so, and it doesn't have to be femme right like yeah. to be an angry asian girl does not mean you have to be femme presenting or identify as a girl even right like reclaim that word as your own um but i i want to like i do think that it's really important to say that like the queer poc perspective and lens is so important but it's also important to think about like that historically pride which was founded by like trans black and brown women Mm -hmm. right um is is now being largely held by white gatekeepers you know and so when we talk about being queer and like i would also like to say that like queerness is not necessarily in our mission it just happens to be a large makeup of our collective and the people who run it right and so queering spaces is really important to us um but also like kind of like taking a step back and analyzing like what that means like what does queer mean and why is queer trendy right now you know and why is pride like you know on every vodka bottle that i've seen this month you know and like it's just it's so it's becoming something that is not actually for queer people or queer POC Mm -hmm. people, right? Who honestly, because of so many contexts culturally or otherwise, like so many queer POC people do not have the privilege or luxury of being able to come out Mm -hmm. to their families, right? Or being able to identify a certain way with an organization or otherwise. And so trying to be like conscious of all of these contexts Mm -hmm. is a really tricky thing as well. White people did not create queerness. It existed Mm -hmm. in a lot of indigenous cultures. It existed in a lot of, like, Asian cultures. Absolutely. And, like, I feel like there's this whole, like, weird movement about, like, queer being associated with, like, liberalism and, like, you know, like, the future. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, it's been here. You just kind of colonized the shit out of us and made us think that it was wrong. Mm -hmm. And then now you're, like, shaming us again for not having access to that thing that you stripped from us. Mm-hmm. So, like, hmm, so many feelings. That's something that mm-hmm. I, like, personally have been super interested in, in exploring, like, how my queerness intersects with, like, my ethnic identity as being Indian. Mm-hmm. And, like, as I've gotten older, I've been really wanting to, like, reconnect with my culture, and especially with, like, Hinduism, because that's such, like, a huge mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. It's, like, an ethno-religious identity, for sure. And when you're brought up in the United States, there's this part, there's this narrative that, like, queerness and spirituality don't mix. Mm -hmm. And for me, like, really exploring that for myself within, like, the Indian context has been so amazing because it is so queer. Like, Mm -hmm. Asian cultures, like, if you take the colonial part out of it, right, like, the colonial influence out of it, Asian cultures are so queer. Like, there's so much like exploration of what identity is and like fluidity Mm between like i know in hinduism like there's so much gender fuckage Mm -hmm. between like the gods and like their different (laughs) like reincarnations and there's such like a celebration of sexuality i mean like just like you can just point to the kama sutra right Mm -hmm. like that is not just like really fun sex positions Mm -hmm. to have it's an exploration of how 
sex is such this, is like a beautiful aspect it's sacred of love. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. something empowering and powerful. Which is completely shut down in American society. Absolutely. As is this like the idea of reincarnation, which is so prevalent in so many like mm-hmm. um in so many religions, right? But for me, like, growing up with, like, Theravada Buddhism was, like, really interesting because this idea of reincarnation and rebirth is completely, like, ungendered and un, um, uninfluenced by, like you said, like, colonialist ideals, like, being placed onto, you know, like, Orientalism just, like, fucked up a lot of shit. Yeah, <laughs> you <seriously>. know? <laughs> the title of this podcast. <laughs> Orientalism <laughs> fucked up a bunch of shit. <laughs> But it's super interesting because, like, we have, in, I, like you were saying, queer people of color have an ownership to queerness that has been taken away from mm-hmm. us. But I think that our communities are, like, drifting back towards, toward, like, and our generation is, like, able to, like, reclaim and be mm-hmm. like, no, yeah, like, mm-hmm. I can be queer and I can be a good, you know, Indian. Or I can yeah. be queer and I can be a really good, like, I don't know. Asian person in general and like and that's a really cool project that Dombey is kind of spearheading right now that we're gonna Mm -hmm. do with this culture shock series we have but um we're really trying to like focus on the breakdown of the three words in our name right so Mm -hmm. what it means to be angry how do we queer anger Mm -hmm. um what it means to be Asian how do we queer the Asian identity and then what it means to be a girl and how do we queer femme spaces or queer womanhood whatever womanhood may be right um and kind of like use that to undo a lot Mm -hmm. that a lot of the associations with those words and really break down like why we think of each of these words on their own um in a certain way in a certain way and then also like how we think of them in concert like with two paired together like what that connotation brings and then also as like a whole Mm -hmm. like what we are trying to bring um into the space like into the world um and also, like, I think something else is, like, who we're doing this for, right? Like, we're yeah. doing this for other angry Asian girls. Mm-hmm. And, like, fuck whatever that means, right? Yeah. Like, expand that to, like, like stretch each of those terms to, like, as yeah. great as it can go. Like, the furthest extent of its limit. And, like, put a blanket over everybody. Right. Because you know? yeah. like, ultimately, these words are just tools for us to create community. Yeah. And then exist in that community on our own without those words. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we're using these words because we don't have other language to bring this community together. Um, because we haven't been given other languages because of the society we're in. And yeah. because of the, like, barriers and limits that are placed on us within it. But we're doing the best we can to use these words to bring together, like, people into physical spaces and then talk about how to undo them. Yeah. You know? It's like, uh, I always come back to the idea that for, I I want to say, like, the existence of the API community mm-hmm. in Western spaces, mm-hmm. or Asian communities in Western spaces, we've been looked at, but we haven't been seen. Mm-hmm. And, like, that, what you guys are working at is, like, expanding those definitions and using mm-hmm. these labels that may have like done a lot of work to separate us mm-hmm. and put us into these like you know manageable mm-hmm. appealing or tokenizing boxes Absolutely. and like reclaiming those exploring them in a way that allows us to say hey like why are we using this mm-hmm. to you know like 
put us in this box and like mm-hmm. how do we ex- how can it bring us together yeah, instead we, of separating yeah. us because mm-hmm. like i can be angry just like another white woman can be yeah. angry right mm-hmm. like i can ask to speak mm-hmm. to somebody's manager like, and that's just right. like, anger, like, right? anger like, is so gendered though yeah. too like it's it's interesting to think about because it's like we have this association with femhood as being hysterical angry bitchy bossy mm-hmm. right and so that's not even associated like it doesn't have to be like i liked what Zombie said like these words can be in any combination yeah you know um Mm -hmm. and how we undo them the context changes it's super empowering too because like femme asians are typically like seen as submissive you know like docile or i hate that word so much yeah Yeah. (laughs) and it's like no like Mm -hmm. excuse me like we're not the i I remember during the Olympics, um, I cannot remember the name of the ice skater, but she was, like, torn to pieces by a writer about how she, like, um, was, like, oh, yeah, like, now, you know, she didn't try in the final. Or she, like, tried in the finals, but she was, like, ah, it's fine, like, I'll be on Dancing with the Stars. And she she got torn to pieces by people, and it was, like, no, like, is she, she's supposed, are you, is this coming from an expectation that she's supposed to be this, like, insanely high-achieving mm-hmm. um, Asian like woman and athlete? Yeah. Because, like, I mean, like, speaking as an athlete myself, it's like, listen, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not going to have good days. Most of the time, like, we just want to take a fucking nap, yeah. right? Like, competing at that level is so absurd. And then when you put on ethnic, like, expectations of how mm-hmm. you're supposed to perform, it's like... And like we can't do that all the time and like the expectation that you have to have like a certain level of like gratitude for the position that you're in yes. because like mm-hmm. it's exceptional and extraordinary that you got there in the first place is like complete bullshit like yeah. I hate that so much um, it's like we don't exist to perform for you mm-hmm. we're performing for we're existing for ourselves we're yeah. performing for ourselves and hey like if that means like I'm performing enough to get on Dancing with the Stars then fuck yeah like that's yeah. amazing also like that creative aspect right of like not being in like a STEM or industry field yeah. as the expectations so often are right but like I think that we're finding as like I mean, so we just finished producing this documentary for AAG that's on Asian American artists and creatives and activists in Boston. And it's really interesting because, like, I think the expectation is, like, people, white people love to ask, like, oh, what do your parents think of you yes. doing this? Oh my you know, God, and, yes. like, that is just not something that <laughs> oh. any subject in this documentary has, is, re- like, can relate to. to. At all. They're like, There's no, my no parents have always been supported. Like, why, why do you feel the need why to ask me that? Know. And would you ask my white counterpart that same question you know about like why why i chose to pursue art why i chose to pursue organizing like how i got so political yeah Yeah. just like evaluate if that's a question you would ask everyone yeah you know because it's like hello also like asians are like we're an artistic like to generalize pan asian (laughs) right like artistic as hell like yeah. so much of like western culture is, is derived because from it. of like the artistry from it, like absolutely us. like look at the architecture like the traditional clothing like yeah i don't know I don't know where we got it from. Yeah, I, was just I remember when I was in high school, like, I grew up in a predominantly white town in super northern California, mm-hmm. which is, like, Trump County, basically. It's gorgeous, yeah. but, like, mm-hmm. lots of not great people sometimes. But um, I remember during high school, I, like, it was, like, senior year, I had to go to a dentist appointment, and one of the nurses was, like, asking me what I'm going to do in college and all of that, and it was, like... I'm going to study film. Like, I want to be a producer. Like, that's what I want to do and create stories and bring stories to life. 
and her thing was like oh so like what do your parents think mm-hmm. and had like went kind of off on me a little bit mm-hmm. to the point where I was just like okay like I already have like that insecurity in myself that mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I'm not doing like art is such yeah. like a thing you know like right. that's not like yeah. a clear-cut path to success I'm already insecure about that like the fact that this white person is disappointed in me yeah (laughs) in a way that my parents are like are my parents supposed to be disappointed in me too Mm -hmm. and it was this whole big thing my mom ended up like yelling at them they were like what the hell are you doing like this is not what are you teaching but Mm -hmm. I remember that so vividly because I have never like even messed with going into like a stem industry like yes I get shit now because I want to go into law but like I feel like everything that I've wanted to do and everything that has led to that path is so not in the mold of what mm-hmm. an API person is supposed to be doing. I want to do a project on like mediocre Asians and just like Asian people like failing at shit, but for ourselves, like not yeah. for outside consumption, just like so that we can feel better about like not it's always okay getting straight A's. You yeah. know, because yeah. mental health in API communities too is just it's huge. Yeah. It's really huge and. Um, and specifically, like, in queer API communities, inherently, trauma, you know. We're, we don't talk about it. We don't. Yeah. It's like, cultural. Yeah. A lot of it's cultural. Definitely. Um, and, like, yeah. yeah, I had to, like, hit rock bottom and, like, let go of everything in order for me, in order for me to learn that, like, failure was okay. And I was like, wow, that is not the way I wanted that to happen, yeah. but it yeah. did. And, like... I don't know, um, like, super lucky to have, like, the community and stuff to support me and, like, get me back up to, like, where I am now, but, like, it was real, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, like, there's so many people who are experiencing it also, and, like, yeah. it's something that, uh, once I had that conversation, was like, dang, it's in my family, we don't talk about that shit, mm-hmm. like, who knew that would have yeah. been so helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So... What are you guys working on now? As we're wrapping this, it's yeah. always weird wrapping up a podcast. I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> like, you're the one who's saying, like, please leave. <laughs> you're in your home. Um, Sorry. Um, we're working on a lot of stuff right now. Yeah. We're actually really, really excited for this summer. Um, we have a lot of like workshops and events planned for July and August that are centered primarily around this theme of culture shock mm-hmm. and like understanding home and what home can look like obviously very intrinsically linked to queerness and different interpretations right of what it means to queer a space mm-hmm. and or to be welcomed in a space feel comfortable in right. a space and then also like this this idea that like once you claim somewhere as home like you have as much right to it as someone who's like living next to you mm-hmm. and like the ways in which like the the newcomer can also shock a space mm-hmm. as much as they are shocked by it and so like kind of reclaiming that power for those who are coming into new spaces um and for us that's like gonna be like api fans like youth um but just like kind of trying to like reclaim that narrative like reshape it or mm-hmm share what already exists you know? that's amazing yeah um, we're really excited that's yeah and that's huge because <laughs> there's that perpetual foreigner mm-hmm. idea, right? and like but also this idea like no one's illegal on stolen land yeah. we're in an american context you know yeah, we have exactly. families and camps on the border mm-hmm. um you know like what what does it mean right now to be illegal to be undocumented yeah. to be anything um mm-hmm. foreign or othered yeah so we're excited for that and then we also hopefully have a retreat coming up in the fall um and then we have this project with breaking down the three Mm -hmm. angry asian and girls um 
the breakdown of that is gonna be like an art piece and in between i just like want us to get together and like take over spaces and like have a picnic and like just hang out in the boston commons like have a large gathering Mm -hmm. of like asian fans like take up space physical space physical spaces are theme for the year um building physical community spaces um but our theme for the summer is culture shock so yeah so before we go um who are your so each one of you um gets like a Bayesian of the week so somebody that is inspiring you or just oh my like gosh, you're I wish you told on. me sooner I know no, I like to surprise no. people just like <laughs> off the top of your head come on okay um so hmm I have really been here for Haley Kiyoko lately, yeah. and just mm-hmm. like everything she's putting out, and like everything she's honestly, I really admire her use of social media because mm-hmm. I think that our I mean, social media is a huge tool for us. But like, she really uses social media to break down a lot of like conceptions of what it means to be Asian Absolutely. and what it means to be like you know queer and like in an unproblematic way <laughs> which is like so rare in the in the industry um so yeah i think my my vision is Haley. Yeah. that's awesome yeah i'm gonna bring it down to like a really really small level um so my cousin colette just graduated from high school mm. and like she and i have just like bonded a lot and so um yeah, I'm just excited for her. Like, this is the first summer that she's not going to be in school. So, like, let's get it, cousin. Um, awesome. Yeah, just want to, like, she always inspires me. Like, she's so loving and giving. And so, like, to see that from the bottom is, like, also really nice. And, like, there's people coming up on the up and up <laughs> who are, like, doing this shit and really excited mm-hmm. about it. So, yeah, it's yeah. Really amazing. Um, okay, this was amazing, and I feel like... Thank you for having us! Forever. Oh, I feel like we've been FaceTiming forever, and it's nice to finally see you IRL. In person. Mm -hmm. Um, where can we find you on social media? Mm -hmm. So we are angryasiangirls.org. We're currently revamping our website so that it has all of our resources in a centralized location. Um, But we're kind of spread out over Facebook and Instagram. We have Mm -hmm. a Twitter, but I think we're most active on Facebook and Instagram. Both handles are just angryasiangirls, all lowercase, no punctuation. Yeah, and you can also email us, follow us. Um, everything's you on the shout website. Out your personal Instagrams. Oh my god, I don't. <laughs> I'm not if there you're, yet. If you're that intensive about finding us, you can. You definitely. Uh, yeah, no, some no, very little like, stalking needed. Help! I'm scared of social media. <laughs> like, what yes. does that mean? Oh my gosh. Um. Well, thank you so much. Thank this you, Maya. Amazing. Yeah. And cool. we'll do more stuff. Yes. Soon. If yes. you're in Boston, hit us up. Let's get coffee for real we're all about Asian girls in Boston it's community building and there's a community like we are creating community we exist Mm -hmm. we're here for you yes fuck it up (laughs) bye